0: Hey, Alex Terry here. Thank you for tuning into my podcast. We are here to discuss all about leadership, thinking and behaviors. We are here to talk about how to transit from control command leadership to more inspiring leadership with high influence and trust. We are going to deep dive into three components of leadership and performance. Cognitive, emotional and behavioral. And talk about how mastering our mind and thinking will actually change our action and results. Our thoughts are powerful, trust me. They determine how you feel, your decisions and actions. Your thoughts are one of the most powerful tools you will ever have in changing your life and career. By mastering your thinking, emotions and behaviors, you will create greater results for yourself, for your family, friends, or your team. Focusing on thinking, feeling, and acting will improve your confidence, of course, reduce stress, and empower you and others around you, inspire and improve engagement in your team or collaboration, and of course, create high performance. I hope you will enjoy our episodes. And please don't forget to comment or contact us. Please ask questions. Please send us ideas of what topics you are interested in and we will discuss anything you need. Have a beautiful day. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for tuning into my podcast and being here again with us. I can call it probably second part of our conversation because we finished with Kim Herbert and Chris Strawbridge last time big topic about circularity and i think we went pretty deep it was a pretty long conversation but i think at the end we said we would like to touch on on money side of that because a lot of companies and leaders are scared oh this is another thing that will just cost us a lot of money and it's going to be too costly but there are the ways to do it they're probably ways to actually find the new streams of revenue i believe that was the major point we did at the, at the end and I would like to tap into that a little bit, but I will let you start probably. Like I know, Chris, uh, you wanted to probably continue, or I don't know if if Kim, you have something to add to that first.
1: Okay, I think the key thing was is when we spoke about supply chain circularity, the circular economy. Uh, a, a lot of people seem to assume it's a, it's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to be a costly transition. I'm going to need to invest capital which nobody likes to do if it's their own money in robotics ai and and those kind of things And, and this is for me one of the things where you know kim and i had this conversation about changing people's mindsets about it's not a costly exercise to do the right thing and actually there are a lot of benefits that can come from doing the right thing um which is cost reduction, cost avoidance, revenue generation schemes. And I'll just kind of touch on one point that there was a a report done by uh, McKinsey and Company. And what they talk about, this whole transition, whether it's to net zero or ESG, but more so the net zero component, will between now and and 2030 create what they're calling 11 high potential value pools. So these are revenue streams by making that transition to net zero. And they estimate that it's gonna be more than $12 trillion worth of uh, annual sales between now and and 2030. I think one of those areas that we, Kim and I, are focused on obviously is waste because we're talking about circularity and, and all those great things. And they estimate that that revenue stream within the waste business alone will be somewhere between um 300 to 400 billion dollars a year and that talks about the reuse of materials industrial and materials processes maturing with advancements in technology and again those process innovations so if you're a waste provider or even if you're a company that generates a huge amount of waste there's an annual revenue mar- market there of somewhere between three to $400 billion that you can tap into. So that's about revenue. Ex- and that excludes yeah. cost avoidance piece. Yeah. And, and maybe I'll hand over to Kim because Kim did a really great piece of work recently when she was going through some of her waste audits. And it kind of shows how waste passes from at the output at its end of life through to its disposal and where all those dollars sit I think that's where the cost avoidance piece can come in, extremely revenue. So, hand over to you, Kim, if that's okay at that point.
2: I think I, I will touch that point, but I also want to go back into what you're saying about your benefit realization and your intrinsic value. These days, it's a competitive market, and we're all tendering, or service providers are all tendering against each other to get a customer. Um, and the customers are all, everybody's struggling with this whole ESG piece. So the customers have got ESG commitments and they're passing that down to your service providers. So they're saying in your contracts, you need to meet X, Y, and Z and your service providers and your ESG. Um, and so by doing it correctly, your revenue profit can also be that you can win more tenders and get more work by just being greener. So it is that there's definitely an intrinsic value, or you can definitely lose work, and and quite a few people big players in the market these days are saying we're just not going to use you as a service provider no matter how big or small you are if you're not green and esg and it's it's a simple i've worked for two companies like that um and and that's what's driven them and when you say we are the green ones your rating in uh, any tender contract review process always jumps up yeah so so they're there chris So secondly, when you talk about your cost intrinsically safe, doing it properly and and doing due diligence in your waste and understanding where your waste goes and just spending five minutes, um, a lot of the waste, as we move from one waste to the other, it's called a unit rate. So your waste started at the bottom, your your landfill says, this is how much I'm going to cost. The next subcontractor puts on a little bit more, he puts on his margin, the next transport provider puts on his margin, and the next transporter puts on their margin. Now, somewhere along that line of margins of extra costs, you've gone from 30 cents to $4 a tonne, or let's talk about proper money, $170 a tonne, um, or $1,000 a tonne, when you whatever waste stream you were looking at. It can be quite big and quite differential. If you're going to do it properly and you can cut out the green supply chain, you're going to go, well, I'm going to go straight to the recycler. I'm going to cut out all that margin and I'm going to do direct deals with my waste facilities. I also then am speaking to my waste facility so I can guarantee and I can do the right due diligence to make sure that those guys are actually compliant. Now, why does that bother me? The big reason why I do due diligence audits for these companies is because they're all paying a lot of money um, on an annual basis to help clean up waste facilities with the governments in other places in the world. And we are now starting to see this in Australia. So cost avoidance, you need to know where your waste is going so that you don't end up having a liability, which you're paying for in the long run. Um, But also reduce the bottom line, simple as any business. If you can not be paying for contract on contract and, 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 extra money wherever you need to making a direct deal with your waste facility provider you definitely win financially I love what you both said because for me like from my perspective
0: when I'm thinking as a leader you are you're basically showing me opportunities to make money or increase the revenue you're showing me opportunities to reduce my cost And what I see from a behavioral perspective, or maybe that thinking perspective, is that we are so rigid that we are moving so slow to grab this opportunity and actually start to change and change how we think and change how we behave. And... It's interesting when you said it. I was like, "Yeah, like I will do it right straight away." Like that's great because I can actually do something with uh, making more, making more money. And I think that's the goal of every company to actually improve revenue or profits, right? And now, from a leadership perspective, I will be like, "Wow, what's what actually is stopping people to take action? That the thinking has to be so inflexible. I don't know if that is the word, but opposite of flexible, rigid, you know, or, or stuck." that they don't wanna be resilient and flexible enough to actually go green, even though they know there are opportunities in future. And we know in 10 years time, people are not going to work with you when you're not green, especially when you mm. want big contact, uh, co- contracts, right? Like that's that's just something as every leader should be more visionary and see that as a as an issue before uh, after. That means in 10 years time, we are not going to succeed with this rigid thinking, you know, like having, being stuck, and saying, saying no or, or have that resistance. I, mean, I love what you said because it's it's basically just showing people that here are the opportunities, here are the things that you can do.
2: And there's another one that's quite easy going on that is um, I'm currently hearing quite often and quite a bit in the space of I want to do X, I want to um, do green steel, do hydrogen, um, even smaller. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm stopped because I don't know how to get rid of my waste or I don't know where it'll go. The waste facilities on the backhand are going, we are amazing, we're passionate, we process engineers, we're technical people, but we need a market to be able to make a business case to be able to make to be able to process this waste. So people need to think outside the box. We're in a situation now where everything is changing and the world is turning and moving. So we do need to think outside the box. So okay, I've got solar panels, all right, I can process solar panels. I've got a waste that's slightly different, but it's the same kind of thing as a solar panel. So am I going to go and contact a a waste vendor, a waste company who's doing something similar and say, "Oi, you will do R&D with me. You'd cover those costs, but I'm going to guarantee you a feedstock. The positive outcome is that you are able to become very innovative in your work stream in what you're doing, cut costs and achieve your outcome. You don't have to worry about the waste and you'll probably find that your waste can be actually disposed of for free. When you're looking at bespoke waste that is no longer around, it is actually very costly to get rid of it. But if you're able to put in these um, deals right in the front, you're able to save a lot of money, but realize your dreams and realize the vision that you have for your company. It's so amazing. Chris, I know you want to add something. I will jump
0: into you straight away. But I can see, like, I, I need to basically grab this, what you said, because this is so important in perspective, what we talk about and uh, what I mentioned with thinking, because you said, I want this, but this is stopping yep. me or I don't have it because of this. That means when we have as a leader, that's that's our major teaching with limiting beliefs, limiting you know biases and, and how we actually drive our results that's the one most important sentence that I give to every leader and say: whatever you want to achieve, and you don't have it because or but, that's your limit that you need to unlock. That's your limit in your thinking because you don't think beyond. That is exactly what you said is just so amazing because it's going straight away into into thinking patterns, uh, neuroscience, you know, limiting beliefs, how we think. It's it's just so connected, and and you just said there's a lot of options how to think about that, right, outside of the box. And, and we can all do it, but we don't want it because we we think that's not the way. That's not there is no option because we don't have something. Or but I can't do it because you know I don't have money or time or there is no one else to do it. I, I love that when you say because it's really important to to go back to that level of thinking. Chris, your your time. <laughs> well, no, I think I
1: think what I found interesting with that conversation there was as soon as we spoke about. At this point you can make money, it will reduce costs. Your answer straight away, Alex, was oh, as a leader, of course I'd do it. If I can make more money as a you know revenue profit, of course I'll do it. Then you're right, it, it it's changed that it changes that thinking straight away of well maybe it might be do- worth doing the you know the return on investment assessment of change. What will the payback period be? What will the benefits be? So that and I think that's why Whilst Kim and I are passionate about, you know, the supply chain, the green supply chain and, and reducing waste and the, the um, social and the environmental impacts of that, you know, we did realise how you put that message forward will change how people accept it quickly or, or not so quickly. But then moving on from that point, and, and it, it goes to, to Kim's point and why we, we've put ourselves out there or we're out here trying to help people to do this is it it's what generates the waste it's about this point of at the front end you've got to do that life cycle assessment which will tell you you know how your material what your buying process is how it's going to work how it will survive through the supply chain through its operational um period of life or phase in life and then what will happen at the back end of it and that's the point that's not understood is doing that life cycle assessment piece up front. Now, I think it's quite clear. I'm more new to this the sustainability piece than than Kim. But you know, even some of the things Kim and I are talking about about natural capital, life cycle assessment. Kim went to university a couple of years ago, and and, and these things were uh, are old to Kim, when, I, when I'm kind of going, have you, this natural capital thing, what do you think about it? So, yeah, 20 years ago we were talking about it, but we're now having to bring that old terminology back to yeah. life to really get people to think about it again. Um, and you can maybe touch on that piece, Kim, because that natural capital one really got me excited when I, heard it, when I heard it for the first time or was reading about it.
2: Uh, my brain was actually going a different way to something you said earlier. <laughs> I'm having to re-divert here. Um, can I go back to what you were saying earlier about monetizing waste and, 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 and actual, you know, what we have done in the past? Um, and even I guess it is natural capital, but um, an example that we've done that I've just done in my previous role was monetizing a supply chain and and changing your waste, your thinking so that you can actually – change what you're doing your behavior and then you actually reduce your cost in your supply chain and i've got a really good example of that so one was we kind of had a look at um a lot of our machines and widgets were coming from overseas and they'd been packed and packed and packed and wrapped and wrapped and wrapped and wrapped with soft plastic we worked out that that was enough plastic to go around the world um and we were we were getting charged because you were getting charged for the packaging so what we said to our talking about Chris's buyers and, and talking about the changing your methodology and how do you buy and what what are you actually thinking and, and doing? We changed, We our procurement team spoke to the suppliers, the vendors and said, well, when you supply us with these widgets and digits and these special machines, these are the parts that need to be protected. The rest doesn't matter if it's got a little scratch on, it's not actually gonna hurt anybody. It goes into the field anyway. Um, can you not put in the plastic? This is how you're gonna preserve it. And it ended up being about a cost saving of at least a few thousand dollars per machine. The greenhouse gas saving from a scope three emissions that we saved the company, I can't remember the numbers, but there were significant savings in, in the entire lot. And we weren't using the soft plastic anymore. So we didn't have to even get worried about getting rid of it. Um, when we looked at supply chains and warehouses, just little tiny things that you talk about monetizing your waste and, 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 and this is what we're talking about, life cycle analysis. What we did was we did a life cycle analysis and we said, oh, not even a life cycle. We said, you're going to go and cut down those trees to make wooden pallets. You're going to cut down the trees or recycle and reuse, recycle things to make cardboard. And you're going to go and get hydrocarbon to make um, soft plastic. Now you're going to go and wrap all our food. So we 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 did a case study with, with one of our food contractors. And you're going to provide us with tinned tomatoes. One bag, one box of tin tomatoes. Each one of those tin tomatoes came in a box with, you know, what, 24 of them. They were then re-wrapped. And then they were re- then the, the, the 24 boxes were put on another case where they were re-wrapped again and more boxes and more packaging. This all came from Melbourne and they came on wooden pallets. So now you're paying, doesn't matter what you say, you are paying intrinsically for that product and that service. All that stuff had to come when we, we mapped it out it was coming from Melbourne all the way. And it was, it was traveling a round trip of over 10,000 kilometers to get packaged in one city, turn around, go on airplanes, go on boats, go everywhere else and come back to Melbourne often because that was where the facilities were that could actually recycle. Now what was the point and what was the purpose? Natural capital you've trapped down trees. So, that, and you, and you've, the biodiversity in and and loss um, and the offset there's no offset potential because you haven't got the trees because you've cut them down. Isn't it better to actually just say straight away to those vendors, "Hey guys, you're making my my potato my um food um, and you're packaging it. This is how we want it." So what we did was we provided them with um, little packaging boxes, trolleys. Um, they gave us our tomatoes in those. We unpacked them at the warehouse and we sent it back. We reduced tens of thousands of, of tons of waste on an annual basis and all the cost associated with it. Natural capital, how many less trees had to be cut down, how many um, less um, what plastic was required, um, and the greenhouse gas and the scope three emissions was reduced phen- phenomenally. You didn't have to reprocess the plastic.
0: I have probably questioned question because it is, for me, like as a normal human being, you know, like, yep. like I'm not thinking now from perspective of leader, leading companies, but for me, that's how it's supposed to be. Like like everything what you said, it, it's to me like, this is how it's supposed to be. This is how we should look at that because we don't want more waste. We don't want more plastic. We don't, and, mm-hmm. and we don't want to cut more trees if we don't need to, right? And yep. I, I was like, I'm just, more probably curious like what is actually stopping people because now they know even if you will just work there full-time you'll be covered by cost and you will still make the money on yep. the saved, you know waste management or waste changes yep. it's crazy like for me it's like what is the point why people don't know about but it but then
2: but add to that and you go well what about the ESG and it's not in the ESG it's governance human health and safety every single time you have a pallet Chris you've worked in the warehouses I've go to warehouse they're one of the big safety risks because people having to cut them up and put them into bins yeah um plastic you're having to cut the packaging and all that so you've got all the health and safety risks associated with that stuff too and then you've got the supply chain problems of slavery because most of the stuff is getting yeah. made in wherever it is with you know how do you check your slavery so if you just reduce all that stuff it, it takes it all away. Why aren't people doing it? Because it's bad behavior and it's practiced in the past. We we are in, in a linear economy. This is easy. I've got my job to do and my job is X, Y, Z, and everything. And this is like something on the side. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's not prioritized. So once it starts to become prioritized and people start to realize that the cost reduction are there. And funnily enough, in my experience, um it's the guys on the shop front the guys on the ground are the ones that will come up with these ideas and these solutions quite often, and leadership is often not listening to them.
0: Yeah, that that's what we we realize and we notice a lot that what is still happening in actually more than ninety percent companies, and it's really sad. That number, even like I feel really sorry when I share it because it's terrible. Like there, there are people or bottom line or on the ground, you know, when when you're thinking about those people, they're they are actually smartest because they know everything about. Packaging, delivery, customers—they have the direct contact with customers. Whereas, if customers something don't like, and they may say they don't like the packaging, they don't like, you know, to do that waste. There is never ever communicated from bottom to up, you know. Like that's the problem because everything is opposite other way, you know, from top down. Yeah, and that's the old school leadership. It doesn't work anymore. And and when you're talking about those things, I'm always thinking why the companies are not actually checking with all their supply chain and they don't call. People, you know, some some from the directly, they work with customers and, and they don't call all these people and, and major representatives of the supply chain, at least some, you know, or at least start with one product or one thing and have conversation, how we can do it together to don't get a yeah. you know, massive cost for one company. But really go through all of that. I'm, I'm not saying that it's easy, probably in a lot of cases, but when you think about things like food, you know, that can change. It's, it's just imagine that Woolies, you know, that like so many of them, right, in uh, in Australia or other other shops. When you, when you think about it, there's so many of them, and if the one thing one person will start to create change, there will be change everywhere because they're all around Australia. That means it can have really massive impact uh, to actually start reduced waste and changing the the packaging and all that. It's just so amazing how. Yeah, it's just mind blowing to me, you know, when I see what we can actually change, and we still don't do it because. And you
2: want you talk about leadership. It should be so. When we saw change was when we put goals in our leaders' performance agreements, in the CEO's performance agreements, in his vice president's performance agreements, going down. That was when you started to actually see change because the leaders are all doing what their goals are what their performance agreements are you know they want to they want to get a good performance agreement that's at the end of the day corporate i think
0: Um,
2: one of
1: the things sorry kim
2: but i think i think there's there's you know you've got to you've got to do the whole lot um and the guys on the shop front they they also what i also noticed is they get quite demoralized in their job it's a very weird thing by just cutting paper all the time they actually get demoralized because they go home going I'm not I'm passionate about the environment I'm actually in my job I'm actually having a bad thing about the environment I yeah. feel unsafe cutting this all day but when you when you flip then you're giving them the voice and they can do something positive they do something really great and then their little environmental stuff that they do to actually help the company succeed is fundamental yeah
0: I agree yeah, it's listening to, to other people. That's that's the major message when you think about it because they have great ideas. There's so many people with potential and because they are, like you said, demoralized because they're doing this every day, it, it building up you know, the emotion that is even sometimes their drive for change. And the leader doesn't have it because he's so disconnected from those people. And yeah, I believe that's, that's something uh, that all leaders probably start to or should start to have a look because... That is that there's there a gold you know in, in your people. they are shopfront people. like there's definitely so much wisdom. I think like some
1: really good points there I, I think one of the concerns that you know, I know I have and it, and it is this piece about I agree that performance measures should be against people's role, function responsibility in a business. But then, you know, it is making sure that what is being reported is clear, transparent and actually happening. That's definitely one of the key things because we all know the, the, the greenwashing scenario that reports will say what reports say. I'll buy offsets, but, you know, um, because I can't, for my heart to abate emissions, I can't do anything about them. But You know, are they genuine offsets? Those kind of things. So... That performance measure is quite hard. And one of the things I've seen is how companies operate as well. So why doesn't it happen? You, you know, you might have a chief sustainability officer, but how connected is this chief sustainability officer? Or what's that ability to influence what the business does? How linked is that CSO um, to procurement? Is that that message all the way down to that contract's lead or that procurement's lead? make sure these commitments are embedded and that they're understood and you know how linked is all of that back to finance and to financial reporting back to kim's point as well and what i have seen is that you do see a disconnect because if i'm in sustainability you know i've got this function here and my function is to report great i report but what do you influence and how do you make that go further Um, in your business and further up into your business and that that seems to happen and I think one of the other big issues apart from reporting people who report numbers against you know a, a baseline of you know 2019 or whatever their baseline is um and you know how did they get to that baseline because you guarantee most people would have pumped their baseline number right up as high as possible so that performance is constantly um kind of going down but the problem you have is when a company is doing well and money's flowing in, revenue's flowing in, profits are soaring high, who actually looks about the need to change? And the answer is a lot of the time, a lot of them won't because balance sheet looks great, shareholders are okay, our reporting says we're doing really great, so how hard do I need to push? So that that is a problem internally as well, but back to the point, is Um, that top down leadership and bottom-up, but meeting in the middle as well, so the commitment... There's congruence in actions and language within a business
0: yeah and and that's uh, that was spot on what you just said because this is showing me actually when i'm thinking about sustainability waste uh, management and all those all those topics we are talking about i feel like almost from perspective of leadership or how i would drive the change in the company it's basically going back to organizations and as I said, ninety percent of them they don't have really great culture. That when we talk about those ninety percent of companies, they don't have great culture. How they can do this kind of change? They can't because there is there is there is no connection, there is this connection, you know, with the message, with language. There is there is not common feeling of the company that yeah, this is our goal now. We really want to do it. That means I feel like it's it's going back a little bit. Maybe it will take longer time, but I feel like we need to start with the changing the culture implement new values and not like some companies say oh we have 54 years values and we still live by them like that's probably a little bit wrong because the world changed and I don't want to name the company but it was all over the LinkedIn and when I heard that like how proud this man was on this biggest uh, company in, in Western Australia I was like wow I wouldn't be proud of that because actually values need to be changed because our thinking needs to be changed, our behavior needs to be changed, our action needs to be needs to be changed, and our results need to be changed. That is, I feel like, like all that scheme of, of what you're talking about, it starts again back, you know, in that creation of the of the culture. The culture that people really have common language about that around net zero sustainability based management, they talk about it and it's normal because it is part of their values day-to-day operation and everyone is aligned with the values i feel like that's where we need to go
1: i think that's right i think that's where kim and i see the value in what we do is because you know we have no alliances to go when we go into a a business we have no alliance or allegiance to you know whether it's finance sustainability or supply chain it's just a case of this is what it is. And, and we always start with strategy. That's the first question we always go to. Have you got a strategy? And that's either a yes or a no. So, great, you've got a strategy. Next question is, you know, are the underpinning processes, procedures, standards there? Yes or no? And that again is a yes or no. So, you've got two yeses. Great. So, the third question is, great. You've got a strategy you've got the supporting documentation and processes underpin it. Is it being applied? And that's when you go across the supply chain. And once you go across the supply chain, that involves everybody in that business. Everybody in that business will be touched by supply chain. And therefore, you can take that model and go, well, there's not really doing much with waste reduction here or there's not really a level of compliance to modern slavery there. And therefore, you know, it's an unbiased approach to telling people where they can improve
2: so that's what we like about the
1: model is that no allegiances and it's fact-based and nothing more than that
2: yeah and Uh, going back to what you were saying earlier Alex in values and what we're saying and doing it's about the conversation it's about education yeah um and I remember I had one situation where I had I've been told by my company I need to you know improve the waste of the entire company and digitalize it etc I had one VP who just kept on telling me, I don't care. I'll just put my waste in each bin. And I kept on saying to all of the leaders, it starts with the administration bins. It starts with sustainability, starts with the bin that you're putting in. It starts with the tap in your toilet. It starts with um, the lights going on and off and automatic lights and automatic aircon. It starts in your building. It starts with the people that are making the thinking and, and buying and, and designing are sitting. Um, and it starts with leadership. So I had this fight with one of the VPs and he kept on going oh I just going to put in every bean I kept doing, and I kept on saying to him mate if you do this then your compost is going to go to rich grow if you do this your compost is going to go to this facility that facility that facility so do it think about it five seconds of stopping and sorting out your waste before you put it in the bin will have a positive outcome for the environment um I saw him on his last day at work he was retiring and he had taken out his box and he had a little box and he was sitting there he didn't know I was sitting there watching him and he was actually sorting all of his old all of his old things into the bins, um, the recycling bins. And I looked at him and I said, oh, Mike, I'm really, really impressed with you. And he goes, you made me think. And it was that conversation that you had. Um, and I did notice because I was sitting in one of his work streams, that conversation did flow into the way we were able to apply sustainability because he was actually turning that around and able to like improve it and and act on it so it is it's exactly what you say It's, it's everybody supply chain affects everybody and it doesn't matter who you are it's having that conversation being able to educate and being able to stop and think and we all save money because of it
0: yeah, and I and I love that because there's so many super important points when you think about the business growth as well. You know, it's not not just protecting environment what we need to do, but also it's really helpful for business and revenue and and people's life as well because you're bringing that that conscious thinking, you know, consciousness into their action, and that again is improving the brain from perspective of when we talk yeah. about brain stuff. But I was I was going to add to that because Chris mentioned that. You know, you have strategy. That's the first thing, first question. And you have processes and systems. But I always kind of add on that, that you have people to actually run the processes. You have people that need to actually do the process or go through process. And when they don't believe in that, when yeah. they don't have the same thinking, they're not going to continue and doing the process, right? Like uh, I skip the steps, right? Like I skip the steps. You give me the manual that has five steps. I, I will skip one. That's the way I, my, my brain works. I'm trying to learn to read manuals, okay? That's my biggest challenge. But I know when someone tells me, if you will read a manual and follow those five steps, and when you follow those five steps, this happen and that, that this is what that means to you and the world around you. And this is how you can change other people's life. And this is how big impact that will have on you, like on, on the planet, on people. You know, it's bigger vision. If If I will be aligned with it, I'm reading those five points. But I believe in every manual I get, you know, everything that I open and it's manual. In, I believe that it's not important because I can do it yeah. without that. That means that's the thinking. And again, if are going, you know, on the level of values, beliefs, That means if you can change people's belief, how yeah. that is important we can create a change and, and there will be structure and systems will be basically there's the support of, you know, how are we going to integrate it? That means I believe that there is still that first step, you know, that needs to be done. And that's the education part of that. Beliefs, explain to people why is that important and what actually happened when you change your mind for five seconds of of your day. I I agree. and I
1: think if you can change, convert everything to dollars, everybody would do it immediately back to that point, I think. (laughs) It will save you a dollar, it will save you ten dollars. I think if every manual had that as its last kind of, well, no, actually, in your case, you'd be a dollar saving at the last step you go to the last step and miss the first five. We know that now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're right. It's that, and, I, and I think that's one of those benefits that, again, I think we bring along is that level of education uh, to educate ourselves about people's businesses, but also leave them with an embedded message that hopefully is sustainable for them as well. And we say education, but it, it's not. It's just it's just ongoing. Being a, a lifelong learner, Alex, that's what it's all about.
0: And the th- thing is, it, it is learning because there's so much, so many new things coming up, right, for leaders in leadership in general. Now net zero, you know, it's quite new. And Australia is kind of new in adoption to that, right? It's, yep. it's very new. That means it's uh, it's too many challenges past few years. There was so much uncertainty. Now this is new goals, new things to do. And people going through a lot of changes. And I think by those conversations we have, you know, we can support them and explain, like, maybe you can actually help your people to change. Because sometimes leaders want to really implement a change, but they get sick and tired of people not doing what they want them to do. That is the first thing that I always hear from leaders, like, I just, I don't know why they don't understand what I want, right? That is, you can want the right thing. But if you don't know how to change their thinking, how to influence them and how to make them to do it, how to show them that is actually, you know, bigger reason and bigger purpose, you know, behind that is not just money, then people will start to do it. But we need to learn as a leader so many things, how to influence other people's thinking. And I think that's probably our biggest role because you can come in and create a change. But by the conversations we have, we can actually start to change the thinking about that, you know, about the topic. And I think that's what is what is really important to me. I really value all your inputs. Uh, I would probably ask before we go, do you have something else you would like to add today and what it will be that we can talk about next time?
2: I, I also would like to add one thing, is changing your language and changing the way we think about sustainability. Changing your language... Stop seeing waste as a bottom package. Stop seeing water as something we just have to have. Stop seeing, you know, people and their safety as something we need to keep safe. Uh, changing a language, waste, monetize waste, see waste as a resource, um, see water as a cost to the business. So, how can I reduce it? See um, scope three emissions as a cost to the business. How can I reduce those? I think that also shifts the way you think and shifts the way people think because some people are driven by different
0: yes. things. Yeah, I love it. I, I love it because it's basically reframe it and, and that that creates shift in, in thinking. That's really well said. I love that. Thank you, Kim. And, and uh, I think that's where
1: exactly where my, my, my mind went to as well, is most of those kind of points that Kim hits on is that, you know, it doesn't need to be an expensive exercise. Uh, there are a lot more apart from the benefits to the environment there are benefits to a business as well and the two things need to be considered hand in hand and almost again to prioritize you're not going to do all of the things at one hit but you know high impact uh low cost they're always going to do things that people want to do but until you start looking at what the supply chain looks like what your you know, water usage or waste usage looks like, you're not going to understand that, bill to take the benefits from it. So I no, really disagree with Kim's points as well. But again, changing that mindset is, again, is key to it.
2: And bringing it back to that, just thinking of an example we're looking at now with a case study with a smaller company and he's he's got a great company going and he really wants to be green, but he keeps going, well, what, what do I do? One of my biggest problems is paper and I'm sending all that paper to recycling. And you kind of go, oh, immediately, how would we stop it? Well, we can monetize that. We can tell you to speak to your vendors and suppliers and say, reduce the paper that you send me. I'm going to reduce the cost of disposal, you know, because you're paying for the bin, you're paying for the transport, you're paying for the waste contract at the end of the day. You take away all those costs by just stopping and thinking and have that conversation. He's a small company. He doesn't need to have procedures and places in place. Would be better if he did but he can also change the vision and the thinking of the people that he does employ. Um, and we need to help people with that because you know they might, they've they got 101 small business owners of 101 things that they're doing. Um, so sometimes it's just a little help to remind them of the, all these little things that we can do.
1: Yeah.
2: And I love that. I
0: think it's actually, there was something that popped in my mind when you talk about it. I was thinking, you know what will be really great if we can actually pay uh because we pay the city right we pay the city we pay for uh, for our waste right it'll be awesome if my rates are lower because of the you know how totally. heavily my waste that will be so amazing and i think that will motivate so many people to really think how they can reduce the, the, their waste and i think when that's when you start really on the bottom line right like with individuals because it's so many people in in uh, in australia and they can change their habits we'll be- go
2: into cities you look at a city and a council one of the biggest costs they have in and, and waste management is they don't actually know where all who all the contractors are and what they're all doing, where they are at and what they're all doing. And, it's I mean, crazy. I had that at my company. We had over 22 waste contractors and a new one popping up all day, every day. And it was like, oh, well, how wow. are we managing all these waste contractors? How are we doing it efficiently? And I remember one time, and you think this is on a council. You think of the rates and the reduction. If you take this as a real-life example, one of them – Um, one of the contract specialists and I, we actually did a a rate to see the same waste going to the same facility, but going via different contractors. Because they all had different unit rates negotiated. Um, And they were all going different paths. And one of them was costing us, it was something ridiculous, like $300 a ton less by using one contractor. And our other contractors and our subcontractors were all using different contractors for the same waste stream. Oh, my God. (laughs) And now you think, and I've also been speaking to people in in councils, the same thing happens. Now, if you could just, it's just basic business. It's just efficient. It's just making things efficient, making things improved, making things streamlined and understanding what is happening in your operation. It's not rocket science. It's no, nothing clever. It's just I know where my costs are, what my points B. are, what A to B is happening, and who is managing what. And that gives me transparency. That gives me compliance yeah. assurance. But it reduces my costs because contractors also know that they sit on their laurels and go, oh, if, if nobody quite knows what's happening, I can make more money out of this. Um yeah. But as soon as we had that transparency and that we went X, Y, and Z is happening in each and every contract, and I digitalized my waste, all of a sudden, we were saving something like 30 to 40K per month on all our contracts and something the, 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 increased, the overall cost reduced by like a million dollars, $2 million on all our contracts because we were pressurizing our contractors to do the right thing and we knew what was happening so that everything had to be this transparency. And yeah, it's crazy. Like that's, that's, it
0: feels like there's a massive gap there. But oh, I have a great it's...
2: example on that for you. Tires. Have I told you the tires? <laughs> um, Airbnb has been a bit of a, in a bit of a strife at the moment because there was a, a company who had a fake ABN or well, proper ABN set up. They were invoicing companies saying, we're going to get rid of your tires, we're recycling. So they were a tire recycling company. They were dropping them off in Airbnbs in Perth. So the companies then have had to p- come back and have the c- clean up costs yeah. Be- um the I think the company who the fake company has been obviously suitably um employed, but your reputation goes, your cost goes, you don't know where things are going um and that's not great for your company when you all of a sudden get a phone call. I'm a small company, I own a small workshop, yeah. and all my tires have been landed up in somebody's house in in Brentwood or what you know wherever they are um that's not great it's not a great look
0: Thanks. and you've
2: paid for that.
0: Well, there is a sense of awareness we should probably all get. And uh, I will probably finish that the conversation because we can talk about cases. And I'm actually curious about more stories because I know there is a lot of stories. And I think those stories actually help people to think more about actually what can happen? What can I look for? And, you know, what should I focus on? because. Those stories are bringing the real, you know, life situations and we understand how to move through those situations maybe a better way when we think based, of course. And um, yeah, look, I, I really, really want to say thank you so much for all what you shared today because I think it was amazing and I learned so much again. I think I will be really good in invest very, very shortly. I would love to invite you definitely for another conversation. That is, uh, if you know, do you do you know what what will be the great additional part of this? Do you have anything in mind that we can open up next time? Because I'm sure you were already thinking about that.
1: So I think coming on from that conversation, I think we really want to now talk more about. We've spoken about circular economy um, and circularity. We've covered, you know, monetizing and cost avoidance of of waste and Smart waste management. We touched on a bit on the natural capital piece there as well. I think we want to now move on to to really how this kind of waste carbon moves through the supply chain and back to some of those examples that Kim was giving there. How how you can actually put some smart practices in place very very quickly to you know re- reduce your 30 waste contractors down to three, which, again, gives you cost reduction, cost avoidance, your tra- getting revenue plus you're ensuring you've got your compliance. So I think that's where we want to go next is the supply chain. Some good examples that, that Kim's given some already. I'm just doing a piece of work that's got some huge examples sitting right in it right now as well. So, yeah, we'd like to share those with you next time, Alex. That will
2: be and awesome. don't forget water. Water's a massive part of the whole ESG. Yeah. And, yeah, let's
0: do that next time. I would love to invite you for the next one. And uh, as usual, at the end, please, where people can find you, Chris and Kim?
1: Your turn, Kim.
2: (laughs) You go, Chris.
1: (laughs) Uh, So we we can be found at ecocssc.com or Chris at or Kim at. Our website is up and running. Uh, It talks about Kim, myself. Uh, our thoughts, philosophies, intent, our culture, our values and our views on our service offering of circularity, sustainability and optimization in supply chain. So please reach out. We are on LinkedIn now. So we will start to uh, put our posts and blogs out coming soon as well. Thanks, Alex. And again, as usual, it's it's great working with Kim on this project as well.
0: Thank Thank you so much. I will I'll definitely uh seeing you all very soon and let's dive into that even deeper. Sorry, Alex, can I just add one final
1: point which sure, I don't want to you do. always it, can. <laughs> is for your for your listeners, if you're not aware, on the 8th of March, the Supply Chain and the Logistics Association for Australia will be hosting a uh, women in supply chain uh, event. Uh, please look on LinkedIn for the link. We will have the wonderful, we're talking about sustainability and circularity. The ever fabulous uh, Alex will be talking about conscious leadership in, in, uh, in supply chain. And also we'll be joined by Angela Cowley, uh, who is a procurement manager in the resource sector. So talking about their careers and challenges of uh, supply chain and leadership moving forward. Thank
0: you. Love that, Chris. Thank you very much for doing advertisement for me. (laughs) And this was (laughs) great. I didn't need to add that. That's awesome. And I would probably forget anyway. But yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to see you finally face to face. And I hope I will try to get into uh, the beach to see your competition, Kim. And um, uh, hopefully we'll we'll see you soon.
2: Okay. Thanks, everybody.